Uh, it's good to see you this morning. If you're joining us for the first time uh, online or here, welcome. For those of you who have been partners with us for a while, we're really glad that you're with us on this journey. And uh, I'm just going to let you know, if, if this is your first time joining us today, I really think this is kind of a, a good introduction uh, into who we are as a church here at Wellhouse, because over the last uh, few weeks together, actually over the last seven weeks together, we've been walking through a series, and a series is just a collection uh, of teachings that kind of uh, have, a, have a similar theme or a similar thought behind them. And the, the series that we've been walking through together is called Immeasurably More, and, and that whole idea is really taken from, uh, as Paul writes to a church, a church in Ephesus, we, we talk about the letter to the Ephesians, uh, that's what it's from, and in chapter 3, Paul writes to them and he describes a prayer. It's a prayer that he's praying over them, and it's really to know God more. That, that his prayer is that, that God would be revealed to them for who God is. That's what he wants for them. And I think, man, what a beautiful prayer. What if, what if we, as parents, prayed that more over our kids or, you know, uh, as spouses, prayed that over each other uh, and as Christians in the world, prayed that over our world? Is that me? Where? That's me? I'll try to not do whatever it is that I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that is, so it's going to be tricky. Um, uh, and so this, this theme that is in there is this idea of uh, that God is immeasurably more, that he gives us immeasurably more than what we could ask or imagine. And that's hard to believe in a world that, that constantly reminds us that we, we live in scarcity. Uh, and that maybe it's better to believe that, that God is a scarcity kind of God, that he could not do those things or he would not do those things. And I don't mean to, to stand up here, and I'm not standing up here preaching a prosperity gospel that if you believe in God, he'll, you know, uh, magically put a million dollars in your bank account. It's not happened to me. Uh, and, you know, uh, I've been following God for quite a while. But what I do mean is that God, uh, as we're faithful to him, um, is faithful to us, that as we step out in faith, we see God more clearly than when we didn't. And, and here's my guess, that there's a point in time in your life where you saw God a little more clearly. Maybe it was like, you know, you, were, you went to a church camp, you know, and you're just sitting out in nature with your friends, you had no cares in the world, and you were kind of committing your heart to God as like, man, you saw him clearly. Or maybe it was, you know, after you were baptized, whatever that was in your life, you're like, man, I see God so clearly. And then the worries of, the, of this life, the stress of this life began to kind of overpower you. You went back to reality and the scarcity mindset of that reminded you that you had to hang on to it all. That you had to be the one in control of it all. And you realized that you aren't as capable as God. And so you lived up not to God's capacity, but to yours. And therein lies the scarcity mindset. And so we've talked about what does it look like to step out in faith and to believe that God is bigger than us and that he calls us to do things that are bigger than us. 
And so in a part of this, this series together, we've kind of laid out for you what our vision looks like uh, for the future of Wellhouse as we see that. And we said that we really truly believe that what God has called us to is to change the spiritual landscape of our community. What we know about our community is this, that about 42% of the people that we live in contact with in our community uh, have no religious affiliation. Some of them at one point in time they did, then they walked away because they were burned. Other people, they just never grew up in that. Some people are open to that. Some people are closed. But we know that 42% is almost twice the national average. And we feel like God is placing on our hearts to change that, that we feel called to that. In fact, this is what we said, that our biggest prayer, our greatest joy, our most significant mission should be to help others find a transforming relationship with God. Like that's the thing that we should get pumped about, right? You know, have you, have you ever been to a, 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 any kind of sporting event, you know, and they score the goal, there's a great defensive move, and the crowd goes wild. Everybody's on their feet, right, and they're, they're cheering, and that's what it look like, should look like for us as we continue to reach out in the world that it's like, man, this is what we're called to do. And we recognize as we begin to talk even further that, that our culture has tapped into something that we're slow to. That they recognize the value of a younger generation. To the tune of, and we talked about this, that that last year TikTok uh, invested uh, $9.9 billion in revenue towards advertising to, to kids 10 to 19 years old. What does that tell you? It tells you that they see value there. And the question is, if they see value there, do you? Do you see value there? And that we understand that the, that the generation that's uh, following us is not going to be the church one day. They're not going to have value one day, that they already have value and that they are the church. And so if we truly want to change the spiritual landscape of our community, if that truly is our heart, then the best place to start is with children. And so we said, listen, what we need to do, what we want to do, what our hearts desire to do is to equip our children the very best way to, to have a transformational relationship with God. And how do we do that best? One of the ways that we've, that we've looked at and that we're moving forward with is hiring a next-gen pastor, somebody who specifically is overseeing how we can best reach out to, to children and young families. So we're stepping out in faith to do that. We've also talked about kind of looking at a, uh, a permanent move, uh, and we've told you we're working with the Solomon Group to, to be able to do that, and that's, a, that's kind of a longer process. We want to be aware of that, that it could take anywhere from six months to 18 months to, to find a permanent space and then begin to, to get in there. So, but we know that here we have very limited space for our kids, and we want to expand on that. So we know that a temporary move to a, a more expanded place for our kids is something that we want to invest in because that matters to us. 
Another way we want to invest in kids is something called one-to-one. And next week, you're going to have an opportunity to sign up to, to mentor with uh, somebody. I think it's, now correct me if I'm wrong, but it's college age all the way to birth. Is that correct? So investing in, in, the, in the, this next generation. And what does that look like? It looks like that you, can, you get to pray with them, pray for them, connect with them, mentor them, allow them to influence you so that you get to learn more about them. And we're really excited to be launching that uh, in September. So we want to take steps to, to doing what we say that is meaningful to us. We also said this, that Wellhouse will lead the way in our community on what it looks like to be wildly generous. And here's a distinction I heard this week that has really kind of stuck with me. There's a difference in, in uh, being generous to and from. To and from. And for most of us, we give to something. There's a cause, there's a story, there's, there's, there's some kind of excitement, there's a building, there's a thing that we give to, and that's not in and of itself bad, but we know that being wildly generous comes from something, not to something. It's something in our heart that God allows to break open, and so Today is, is what we've called Commitment Sunday, and I want to briefly just touch on this for a moment on why we're doing that. If you're new, I want to let you know why we're doing it. If you've been around, you've heard it, I want to remind you why we're doing it. A part of the things that we're doing together require us to step out on faith, it requires us to, to work together for what God is doing in immeasurably more. A Solomon group that I mentioned before is a church expansion fund. And, and what they said to us is, listen, we're willing to work with you, but you kind of have to show us, uh, you have to show us some good faith. You have to show us what your, what your role in this. If, if you want us to help you, you kind of have to, you have to show us what your stake in the investment is. And so we've asked you uh, in, in doing that to say, all right, listen, would you partner with us over the next 12 months so that we can show them in good faith, here's where we're going. So I know some of you are like, man, we've never done commitment card before. Why are you asking us to you know, write our name on a, on a line? And you know, who's gonna know that? And I'm, I'm just gonna let you know, I, I'm not, I don't know what you're given. I, don't, I, I do care what you're giving because I want each one of us to be wildly generous but I'm not going to look at your amounts. Our lead team is, is more than capable of doing that. They're, they're going to be the only people who know the amounts of that. But that's what that's all about. And part of that, listen, there's, there's a big thing here. If you, if you ever look into kind of like setting goals and writing out commitments, that, that writing that down and putting your name to it means something. If you've ever done that as a part of a goal, you know. It's like, listen, I'm putting this in writing. And allow that be, to to, 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 to guide your way in that. But I want to let you know that that's not for public consumption. We're not going to be posting those things anywhere. But that ultimately what we're saying is, are you with us in this journey? Because as we partner with the Solomon Group, we need to know that you're with us. And this is important. We've also talked about this, that our vision is to create a space, a community space where children and families can experience joy, and grow their faith in God. And the whole experience joy is really understanding why they were created to begin with. Last week, we talked about this idea that 
that some of we, we talk about in the Bible references growing in heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you know people that fit into different categories. Some of you, you are designed to be strength people. You love serving. And like if, if we said, hey, we're going to go on a mission trip, we're going to do this thing, you're like, I'm all in, man, I'm all in. Some of you, you're like, that's not really my thing. I mean, I, I, I like that, but I mean, I love a good sermon. We're just waiting for Steve to give us one. You know, like whatever it is. <laughs> uh, you're like, man, those are the things that engage me. You're mind people. You love books. You're, you're way deep into that. That's great. But those things in us exude joy. It's the, reason, it's the way in which God created us. And so we want to create a space where we can help kids connect the way that they're made to experience on how God made them that way. Because if they don't hear it from us, they will not hear it. And that is our burden. And so we're asking, are you with us in this? Today, I'm going to try to give you the most compelling reason why you should join us in this mission. But before I do, I want to set the stage for you a little bit uh, on an Old Testament story that you may or may not be familiar with. So if you have your Bible, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're going to read that in just a moment, but I want to set the stage for what happens before 1 Samuel 14, because if you miss it, you'll miss the story. God selects Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, and he calls Abraham out, and he says, listen, I, I want to I make a covenant with you, and here's the thing. You don't really have to do anything other than leave and go, and the whole rest of this thing is on me. I'm going to make you into a great nation, even though you don't have any kids. I'm going to bless you and all nations in the world, all people in the world, including you and I, are wrapped up into this covenant. He says, I'm going to make these my people. He starts out with Abraham and his descendants, and those people are called the nation of Israel. And we watch in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with it at all, that the nation of Israel grows and grows and continues to grow and flourish. And, and eventually, even though they're held in captivity in Egypt, you probably remember the stories of the, the plagues. And you remember a guy named Moses, that, that God uses Moses to deliver his people out of Egyptian slavery and eventually into the promised land. But that journey takes about 40 years of wandering because because they're a big bunch of complainers. Sometimes I can relate to that. They finally get up to uh, uh, the promised land. They're on the edge, right? They're looking out over everything that they've seen before. And what's interesting, if you understand the layout of the map, that they've actually wandered through the promised land before, but never recognized that that's where they were. I wonder sometimes if we do that. God tells Moses, listen, because of your disobedience in me, you're not going to be able to walk through that. We're going to pass it off to another guy named Joshua. And Joshua's like, oh, man, I don't know if that's me or not. And he says, listen, all I need you to do is be strong and courageous. And he tells him that over and over and over again. I'm going to be a faithful God. You just rely on me. And they walk into the promised land. They cross over the Jordan River. 
And we watch the story of Israel, how they're faithful for a while, and then they're unfaithful, and they're faithful for a while, and then they're unfaithful. And in their unfaithfulness, they, 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 they look around, and they see other kingdoms, and they start to think that maybe the grass is greener on the other side, and they see these other kingdoms, and they have something that Israel doesn't have. They, they have a king. It's somebody who represents strength. Somebody who represents direction. And so they cry out for a king and God says, all right, listen, I don't know that this is the best plan, but I'm going to give you a king. And so they anoint their first king of Israel. It's a guy named Saul. And Saul's this guy who's like head and shoulders above everybody else. He's, he's the guy that you'd cho- you, would, you would choose as king if you could. Saul becomes king, but we recognize that He's given kind of the same directive as, as Joshua. That he's to be bold. That he's, he's, he's to follow God in everything he does. And no matter what the rest of the people say or how they discourage him, that he's to hold true to what's, what's right and good in the ways of God. You're thinking, all right, why do we have this big, big story here? <clears throat> well, in first. Samuel chapter 13, Saul's already anointed as king and he hasn't been king very long and again his whole role is is to really exude leadership. God's challenged him to this and a group of people called the Philistines, they're they're anti-God's people. So what we hear in 1 Samuel chapter 13 is Saul's son, Jonathan, winds out going out and he kind of picks a fight with the Philistines. So the Philistine army gathers their masses together and they go to check out the Israelite and their army. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 6, it says this, when the Israelites saw their situation, here it started by, by Saul's son, Jonathan, who kind of picks a fight with the Philistines on his own. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets and among rocks and pits and cisterns. And some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan. Listen to that for a minute. They were like, you know what? I know you led us to the promised land, but I'm going back, man. I'm crossing the way we came to the land of Gad and Galilee. Saul remained in Gilgad, uh, Gilgal and all the troops with him there were, check this out, quaking in fear. Saul, who was appointed this leader, he was the king, he was the guy who, who God says, listen, if you're gonna do anything, lead these people with courage and strength. And all of a sudden, the first sign of, oh man, we have trouble and Saul and all of his men go run and hide. So Samuel, the guy who appoints by God, appoints Saul as king, is eventually summoned and, and he approaches Saul. And this is what he says in verse 13, 14. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. What's the command? You can look it up in 1 Samuel 15. Because Saul announces it. He says, I haven't, I haven't led well. 
I've led out of fear and I've listened to the voices around me and they've influenced me to live in fear. That's the command that he hasn't listened to. And if you had, he would establish your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you've not kept the Lord's command. And so the Philistines come and they attack the nation of Israel. And in doing so, what they do is they wind up uh, taking away all of the blacksmiths in the area. I don't know. I'm trying. Uh, I'll try to stay more put. There, there we go. Uh, and what they do in that is unlike our time, right? The, the way that they fight wars with spears and swords. So if you take away blacksmiths, you don't have the ability to make swords and spears. So the only thing that they had to fight with was like sickles small instruments that were really used for agriculture. And the way that they could keep those sharp was they had to go to the Philistines to get them sharpened. So everything was managed. So not only were they running away, they were crossing the Jordan, they were quaking in their boots, but now they don't even have a way to fight back. And here are God's people. And here's where our story picks up today. All the weapons are gone. All hope and fear is out the window. Everybody's afraid. 1 Samuel chapter 14, starting in verse 1. One day, Jonathan, oh, by the way, Saul's son, the guy who started this whole thing, <laughs> the guy who picked a fight with the Philistines and thus created this big mess, said to his armor bearer, Come. Let us go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Why? Because the last time that happened, it created this mess, right? Verse 4. On each side of the pass, as they go out to check out this Philistine outpost, Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One, uh, one was called Bozes and the other Seneth. One cliff stood to the north of McMash, the other to the south of Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outposts to these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Stop. Don't read anymore. How about you put yourself in the armor bearer's position for just a moment. Jonathan's already made the Philistines mad once, and we saw the reaction. The Philistines came with, and, the, and, and what, it, what it says in 1 Samuel 13, that there was so many Philistines, it looked like sand on the seashore. And that left everybody quaking in their boots. And they were like, we can't do this. this is, there, there's too many odds against us. They're all stacked up. There's no way this is going to happen. And then, Jonathan, you remember what happened in, in, in all of that. Your dad lost sight of his way, and the, and the Lord winds up rebuking him. And, and through that process, the Philistines come, and they take away all our blacksmiths. So even if we made them mad, even if we go over there, like, what are we going to do? We have swords. I'm your armor bearer, but I got a sickle, man. I got a sickle, and it's probably dull. I don't know about you, but I'm telling Jonathan, bro, 
bad idea. Bad idea. We don't even know how many are over there. I realize you're saying by many or few, but man, what if, it's, what if it's like as many as before? What if we go over there and we stir up such a hornet's nest that we don't even make it out alive? It's just two of us. And what can two of us do? And maybe you've asked that question before. Like, what can we really do? I mean, the odds are stacked up against us. And in, in, in our culture today, the odds are stacked against us. And in, in financial ways, the odds are stacked against us. Like, what could we really do? And if that's true of you, then what I'd love for you to do is highlight or underline the armor bears response. Verse 7. Do all that you have in mind. His armor bearer said, go ahead. I'm with you. Will you say this with me? Heart and soul. I'm with you. Heart and soul. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, I love that armor bearer. Like, he might be half crazy. I don't know, you know, like, he was smelling something earlier that day. I don't know what it was, but he's like, listen, I don't know what all your plans are, but here's what I know for sure. Whatever you do, I'm all in. I'm with you, heart and soul. See, there's a big difference between showing up and being in heart and soul. Right? There's a big difference. And that, that, that is true of every aspect of life. In marriage, there's a big difference between showing up and being in heart and soul. When you're parenting, there's a big difference between being a dad and being an invested father who's in it heart and soul. There's a big difference in your job. And you know this because you've worked with some people like this. When you show up on your job, there's a big difference between somebody who clocks in and clocks out and somebody who shows up and they're in it heart and soul. And believe it or not, the same is true with you and I as we follow Christ. And I'm not just talking about Wellhouse here. God's got a bigger mission than just us. This is just where we are. But he calls his people to be in heart and soul. Here's some problems. See, there's a lot involved being in heart and soul, isn't there? Here's what it means. Here's what it means to be in heart and soul. First thing is this that commitment to heart and soul will always require sacrifice. If you're in something heart and soul, if you're in all the way, it's going to require some kind of sacrifice. You know what it required of this young armor bearer was he had to get out of the safe space and go follow Jonathan and whatever Jonathan's crazy idea was, which sounded like it was really essentially a suicide mission. I think about this. I, I love uh, I love football. It's coming up on that time of the year, and that makes me really happy. I love the Olympics. I've told you that before. I'm a huge Olympics nerd, and I, I love the athletes who train all year long for their sport. But here's what I know is true about them: is that the commitment that they make to that requires them 
to make huge sacrifices. See, I played sports in high school. And there's a reason why today I'm a preacher and I'm not on, on, a, on a field somewhere playing, right? This is where I liked it. And while I'm interested in it, I'm not necessarily heart and soul committed to it. Because it requires a degree of sacrifice that I was unwilling to give. And so I want to ask you the question that you have to wrestle with over the next couple of weeks is, what am I willing to sacrifice for in this life to be all in heart and soul? Where am I heart and soul? And here's the thing. This is what I've learned about myself. It's true of me. It might be true of you. That there's places in my life where I'm really just scared to commit heart and soul because I'm afraid what of, of what it's going to cost me. And so it's easier to keep everything at a distance. And as we follow Christ, I want you to know, if you're not a Christ follower today, then this, this doesn't apply to you. But if you've given your life to Christ, he calls you in, heart and soul, all in. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's scary, even when it seems way bigger than what you signed up for, he calls you to be all in, heart and soul. Number two, when you're committed, heart and soul setbacks won't take you out. I know what you're thinking. See, that's not true. I've been in marriages before that ended. I've been in relationships before that ended. It did take me out. When I was fully committed, that takes two. And you can't control somebody else, but you can control you. See, when you're in heart and soul, you will have setbacks. There's going to be times where you feel defeated. There's going to be times where you're frustrated. There's going to be times where you're depressed. There's going to be times where you wake up in the morning and you think, I don't know if this is worth it. But when you are in heart and soul, you will have a setback, but you will not be taken out. See, you've decided from the first, from the very start, from when you, when you went all in in this thing, that no matter what setbacks come, you're all in. And that's where Jonathan is. Have you noticed that? You'd think that guy would have learned a lesson. You know what? Not picking on the Philistines. Last time, everything went wrong. Huge setback. Huge failure. In fact, he knows if he even mentions it to anybody else but his armor bearer, it's over. But see, Jonathan isn't going to listen to the people who are speaking out of fear because they're not in heart and soul. He's going to speak to the guy who's already with him, heart and soul. And he's saying, listen, I don't know what God is calling us to do. By few or many, all I know is I'm going to be faithful in what God has called me to do. See, when you're committed, heart and soul setbacks won't take you out. Three is this. There will always be a large difference in the outcome of those who merely have an interest versus those who are completely committed. And listen, this is, I know that this is language that feels like maybe I'm stepping on your toes and you don't like it and I want you to know that I love you. I'm, I'm, I'm mostly stepping on my toes too. Because it's hard to be in heart and soul. But there is a huge difference in the outcomes of those who merely have an interest versus those who are completely committed. And you know that to be true even of your life. You've seen that before. 
You've seen those times in, in your life before where it's like you just had a passing interest. You had a hobby that kind of interested you for a bit. And then, you know, it was like, well, I'm not learning this as quick as I wanted to. And so I just kind of give that up, you know, and I move on to the next thing. And you try out that next thing. You're like, well, this is, this is kind of hard. It's harder than I thought. So I'm just going to give that up. I remember uh, the first time Veronica and I went to Honduras and we were like, man, wouldn't it be cool if we could learn Spanish? We could talk to the people that we encounter when we go to Honduras. And so I, you know, I came back for about a day and a half. I was like, all right, I'm going to learn Spanish, man. I'm going to do this. And about a day and a half in, I was like, maybe not. There's interpreters there. I don't really have to, like, I just need baño and, you know, pronto. I mean, like, that's all I need. And then I'm good. Um, I learned the essentials. Um, see, if you just have a mere interest, see, if God is just merely interesting to you, the outcome of your faith will look different. If, if, if the Bible is just merely interesting to you, like those are cool facts and cool stories. I love the concepts behind what it looks like to follow God. But then, then kind of the, the rubber meets the road. And it's like, oh, wait, 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 I have to forgive somebody? I'll just have to forgive somebody. Like, I have to forgive for people who really, like, intentionally hurt me. Like, it wasn't like an accident, like, whoops, sorry, you know, my bad. Like, I have to forgive people who, who meant to hurt me. And I have to love people who, man, they are, like, unlovable. <laughs> and I have to love them. And I have to serve, even when it's not fun. And I have to give and sacrifice when there's other things in life I really want. See, if it's just merely an interest, it's not going to be the same outcome. So my question for you to wrestle with is, where is your commitment level? Are you in heart and soul? Or is it just an interest for you? Here's what I know for sure too. When you know somebody is in heart and soul with you, you ever experienced that before? Somebody was in heart and soul like it was they were like they were like the armor bearer, like, all right, listen, if you're gonna do this, I'm in. I'm in all the way. My wife is great at this. I, am, I, I struggle with it, but, but my wife is great at this. If you say, listen, we're going to do this, like she doesn't even know what it is. But because she loves you, she's all in. She's all in on whatever it takes. What, whatever sacrifice she's going to have to give up, because she's all in, she's going to make that happen. This is who she is. And I'm telling you this. When somebody is with you heart and soul, it changes your courage in life. It changes what you see yourself able to do. Never forget, we lived in, uh, in Parkersburg, West Virginia for a little while, and we bought this house, and it was kind of a reno house, and so we were working on it. At the same time, we, we had Bear there, and, uh, and if you don't know, our family, Bear's our youngest. It wasn't an animal, although sometimes <laughs> those two things can be interchangeable. And this house was a mess. It was just a mess. And we were replacing the floor. We bought this floor, and this guy said, oh, it's like, it's perfect, you know. It's like industrial use, you know. And you could drive over with a forklift, you know, 
for 40 years and ne- nothing's ever going to have a problem with it. We're like, that's perfect for our family. Great. We'll buy it. And, but the problem was, it was like rubber. It was like these rubber pieces that you kind of interlock together, which if you've ever tried that's like, you know, trying to get two wet noodles to stick together and stay, right? And I had done lots of floors before, but not like this kind. And I would get like two pieces in. I tried to add the third one and the first two would break apart. I get those two and then then that one would break apart. And I did that for like an hour and a half. And I don't know if you ever worked on a home project where you hit that level of like, please nobody be around me right now because some of the things I'm going to say aren't good. You know, I just need to, that's where I was. I walked into the room and I was like, that's it. I'm done. I cannot handle that anymore. I give up. It's, It's smarter than me. It's better than me. It's, you know, all those things. It's even prettier than me, right? So, I walked in and I'm exclaiming how I can't do it. And I'll never forget, Veronica, she stood up and she goes, listen, I have full faith in you. I want you to know, full faith in you. You've never let us down. And I know that you can do it. I know you can. I want you to get back in and give it another try. Okay. I walked back in and I was like, man, I don't know what she sees in me. Because I was in here wrestling with this thing, and frustrated. I couldn't even get three pieces connected together. But somehow she sees something in me that believes in me. And so if she believes in me, I should believe in me too. An hour and a half later, floor's done. She walks back in. She said, I knew you could. She didn't help me, which that would have been nice. I'm kidding. But... <laughs> But here's the thing. When you know somebody is with you, heart and soul, you have the courage to do what you never thought you could do before. And I wonder if that's true of our community. See, I'm not just asking you to be with Wellhouse, heart and soul. I'm asking you to follow God's call on your life to change a community for him. And what if, as a collective group together, our community knows that we are with them heart and soul through the hard, through the difficult, through the muddy, through the murky, through the problems, through the chaos, through the craziness, through the time it doesn't fit together and it won't fit together. And we keep saying, listen, I'm with you heart and soul and I'm not giving up and we're not relenting and we're not giving in because that's what God has called us to do even when it's difficult. See, that's what I'm calling you to. See, to change the spiritual landscape of our community, it will take people who are in heart and soul to do whatever it takes to help people find a transforming relationship with God, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't feel perfect, even when there are setbacks along the way, even when we make mistakes and trials and errors come along the way, even when we hurt each other along the way and have to ask for forgiveness and we have to extend love and grace to one another. And even when we help people and they don't feel grateful and they take advantage of us from time to time, even in the setbacks and the hardships and the challenges, I'm asking you to make a big commitment today, not just of money. That's just one aspect. I'm asking you, will you be in heart and soul? See, if you are not a partner with us here at Wellhouse, I just want you to know that's what we're about. 
we don't want to just play church. We're, we don't want to just show up to church. We don't just want to go to church. We want to be the church to make a difference in our life. And if that's what you're ready to do, then let's go. Will you follow me out of the hole when it doesn't make sense? When it's scary, when it fills in over your head? And will you march to what you know God has called us to? Will you stand with me today? So in this mission of changing the landscape of our community and making a God-shaped impact here, where we live, and with the people around us, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault. And with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things, through all things, and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. Please worship with us today.